If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Oh, man. What a good fucking time this was. Dude, it's... There's uh, a few people in this space that I have looked up to for a very, very long time. Um, really looked up to and respected. And that and Joe DeFranco is one of those people. He's somebody that I, uh, for, for a while, as a personal trainer, I was like, this is the guy. He knows his stuff. He's communicating the right stuff. He's got integrity. Yeah, he's a legend in the strength conditioning world. Oh, and what was crazy was uh, knowing him and being so, like, again, I followed this guy for so long, contacting him on Instagram, and he's like, oh, I love listening to Mind Pump. And I was like, what the? Yeah. It's so crazy to hear someone that you've, you know, somewhat idolized say good things about you and what you're doing. Yeah. No, so he's, awesome. He's been putting out, I remember as a kid, right? So we, we were in high school, so he's been putting out fire since I think like 99, and you know, back then, uh, you just there wasn't a lot of resources for athletic performance. So if mm-hmm. you were a young kid or you know college athlete, and you were trying to increase your forty or you wanted to jump higher, there just wasn't a lot of good information. And I remember being a kid, like searching for that. And he was the name that kept popping up, and he was the person that was working with all these professional athletes back then that was putting out really good science-based information. And so that was my first experience with him way back when. And so I've always had a lot of respect and admiration for him as an elite trainer for a really time. Plus, I absolutely love his no bullshit attitude, which oh, I think totally. resonates with all He's three. Just of, like us, right? I mean, and, and it felt that way the minute that he came in the room, right? The minute that we all finally got together, it well, was just friends. him sticking to his guns and having integrity when all these like flash in the pan modalities come in and out of our industry, and he just stayed true uh, the entire time, and that's why you know he is uh, you know a legend it, in, it, in his own right. It, what's funny is we're we're not huge fans of the big fitness convention thing. Uh, but it's funny talking to Joe. We're like, hey, maybe we should all visit the Arnold Classic one of these years coming up. So yeah. if you go to that, you may see us uh, at the next one. No, that's, um, that, that, that's the plan is for us to link up and do something. with. It. I mean, there's just not a lot of people that I think we get that, that, that you just know we're going to be close to going forward mm-hmm. from now. Like we get a chance. I mean, what are we at now? I think I figured out the other day it was like 300 something people as far as interviews that we've done here. Mm. And a lot of really intelligent, great, brilliant minds and good people who we've remained good friends with. But no doubt, uh, I think he will be a, a strong ally of Mind Pump for a, a long time. And I'm just, I'm so excited to say that because we already had so much respect from him not only as uh, as a uh, professional but now as an individual because we've got to know him and his personality he, he also put together what we believe to be one of the if not the best uh fitness certification that's out there for coaches interested in training people for speed and performance and mm-hmm. strength um his certification is no joke it's one of the harder ones uh it's not an easy one to get but if you have it people know it means something, and what we did is we offered our space to him to host uh, one of his certification classes. So on November 9th and 10th at Mind Pump Studios, uh, Joe DeFranco will be having one of his, uh, his uh, certification courses, uh, and we're very, very excited to be hosting this. Again, that's November 9th and 10th. If you want to sign up, you have to go to CPPS 
coaches.com and then go to schedule and find November 9th and 10th uh, so you can sign and that's going to fill up quick because he hasn't done a lot of things here in the West Coast. So, Not at all. You know, make sure you sign up as soon as possible. Oh, it'll be packed. It'll yeah. 100% will be packed. Um, also, you can find him on Instagram at DeFranco's Gym. Uh, his website is DeFranco'sTraining.com. And then he's got a great podcast. We were actually on there recently. He interviewed all of us. Uh, the podcast is called The Industrial Strength Show. Uh, now, before we get into the interview, I want to tell everybody that MAPS HIT, this is our most effective in the short-term fat-burning program that we have. It's high-intensity interval training with barbells and dumbbells and three different levels. It's, it's expertly programmed. It's 50% off to help you get ready for summer. All you got to do is go to MAPSHIT.com. That's M-A-P-S-H-I-I-T.com and use the code HIT50, H-I-I-T-5-0. For the discount. And that's it. So without any further ado, here we are talking to the always awesome and great Joe DeFranco. This conversation has been waiting to be had for almost fucking two years, I would say, when yeah. we first started when we first started taking off with the podcast. People were people like people have been demanding this. Yeah, you we <laughs> yeah. obviously have a lot of crossover uh, uh with our I mean shit, I did the I reposted your your post that you did yesterday about Flying over and you fucked my DMs up all day. I mean, yeah. I must have, I must have had a hundred plus people that. Oh my god, I've been waiting for this and ask him this and ask him that and finally <laughs> you guys are connecting. Like so, yeah. and and likewise, likewise. That, that's I. I think I reached out to Sal when um your names just kept coming up more and more. It was like the first time I I had kind of seen you guys and like the you know the iTunes the when you look at the the top podcast I saw Mind Pump kept popping up and then I listened to a show or two but nothing real consistent and then at our certification a cert didn't go by without without at least one of our coaches coming up to us and saying they listen to my podcast and then saying man you got to get together with the Mind Pump guys like I want to I want to see all hear all you guys in one room when are you going to do it when are you going to do it and then I heard you're on the west coast and I rarely travel so yeah it's it's been two years where finally I was like I can't take hearing this anymore <laughs> we're, we're going to make it happen yeah. we're going to make it happen well I you know, your your name is I mean you're one of the uh, premier people in fitness and you've have been for a long time i mean yeah. as a trainer back in the day you know you were the guy that you know i would read and i would listen to and dude i had your dvd when i was in college and i was uh playing football and i wanted to you know improve my power and speed and strength and, uh, and so it's, it's a trip man it's that's like full cool. circle for that me that is yeah. cool makes me feel old but it's yeah. cool. <laughs> now, how long have you been doing this professionally now i i knew this is what i wanted to do from you know as soon as my i wanted to play in the nfl was my ultimate you know life goal like a lot of kids I guess that play football when that was taken away from me I knew after you know falling into a depression for for a couple months or a year I knew like the next best thing was I wanted to help other people and I and I, I got to the point where even when I was playing football I, I loved the training and the preparation just as much uh, as the the games and I loved football more than anything so when that was taken away I was like I I'm also pretty, I've always been pretty self-aware. Like I know I'm not good at much and nor am I, I'm not a very well-rounded guy. I don't have a ton of interests. Like I love the gym. I love training. I love teaching, helping people. So I knew that's what I was going to do. So I went to college for exercise science. And when I graduated, you know, at 21, 22 years old, I, I did an unpaid, unpaid internship for a year and I stayed uh, in the industry since then. So from 
22 to now I'm 43, I've been making a living either at a personal trainer at someone else's gym or for the last 16 years, you know, my own gym and, and my own business and brand. Oh, that's fantastic. When did it all start to, to take off? Because you came out, you started off as a trainer. Uh, when did things start to really take off for you? When did you start to realize like, oh, I'm becoming a voice in this industry? I, I work for someone else for, and this is an important uh, I think lesson, especially now in the Instagram age and the, the, you know, the, we're in this time with social media and everybody wants to be Insta famous and world renowned. <laughs> I was, I, I was quote unquote famous in like my own town for the first five years I was in the industry as a personal trainer working for someone else. I always pride myself and I, I did a lot of things wrong, but one thing that I did right was I was so tunnel vision focused on just being the best damn trainer for my clients, my athletes. So from 1998 to 2003, no one in the world knew who I was, but in Bergen County, New Jersey, I was the top trainer. Like, right. oh, you, you want to get strong? At that time, I was a lot of football players, but I would probably probably work with a dozen different athletes at that point, just predominantly football players. But if you were a high school or college football player, um, like it was go to DeFranco, go to DeFranco. He's the guy, he's the guy. So I kind of developed a name for myself in my own town, which I think is important before you try to become famous on Instagram. And there was no Instagram back then. So you had no choice, but like I developed my craft and I just, if I wasn't in the gym training, I was home reading about training. If I wasn't reading about training, I was training myself. Um, and, and I've, uh, we might get into a little bit of my injury history and all that has helped me as, as a trainer and a coach because I went through five years of hell with a tumor in my sacrum. So even that, I try to put a positive spin on and look as a learning experience. The amount of doctors and surgeons that I've, I was all over the world trying to get um, help from my back. So for five years, it was just like in a, in a cave, in a cocoon of, of just my own little world of developing that knowledge and that experience. So then when I started my own business in 2003, I got to say without any marketing or anything, I, I did pretty well right from the beginning. Um, I also had a very small gym, so I, I had close to no expenses. I started very small, which was smart. Um, but I, I was able to get clients right off the bat because it was five years of uh, building that foundation. It, you, people thought I just came out of nowhere and opened up the storage closet gym and became like world renowned, but there was at least five years of, uh, you know, real world sure. professional experience before that. And, you know, and I started at 12 with my dad. So before that five years, it was, an, you know, another, a 10 before that of training and being obsessed with this stuff. So I want to I want to apologize to the audience right away because I already know what I'm going to do with you because I have so many questions I want to talk to you about and I'm sure we're going to fucking bounce yeah, all yeah, over the place. I do the same yeah, thing. So I'm going to apologize apologize the audience right away that I'm not going to go in chronological order and ask you traditionally, oh, what happened with the injury and then take me all the way through your training career because I just have questions that I've wanted to ask you for right. a while. One of those being, 
How did the relationship with uh, On It happen, and how did you become like the main gym? That that's because you have it's a Joe DeFranco gym, yeah, right at On It. How did that relationship happen? Although not just recently, that's we don't have that anymore. We had it for two years, and now uh, the Cameron Joss, who was the head coach there, the DeFranco head coach, just recently moved back to New Jersey. So it's it's relatively new, though. It's not like you're. I didn't know that. Uh, so yeah, so there's more more oh. stuff you could talk about. Yeah, but, let's go there. Uh, basically. <laughs> Uh, right. It's it's not as it's not as juicy maybe as you're hoping, but for uh, he wouldn't do ayahuasca. Let me guess. Uh, it- no, I'm not that guy. <laughs> not, I, I, you know, I, get, I don't. I got a, I got enough issues without adding any outside. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all another thing. But how did that? So one day when I was. So I, I started in a store, a 500 square foot storage closet, was there for three years, grew out of that, went to a 2000 square foot warehouse gym. That's when like YouTube started. I was like one of the original guys on YouTube before it was really anything. I would post videos of my high school kids it, for them. And I'm, I'm getting to your question, but yeah. I'm just setting it up a little bit so it doesn't seem completely random. I would, it's funny because high school kids, we were, we were producing some freaks in the gym and, you know, we had kids doing 54 inch box jumps and, you know, 700 pound trap bar deadlifts in high school and all this crazy shit. And they wanted to kind of brag and show their friends at school what they were doing at the Franco's. So I didn't even know how to use YouTube at the time. My girlfriend at the time set up my YouTube account would video. So, you know, we had, I think it was like the old flip uh, cam at the oh, time. Shit. <laughs> she would anything cool was happening at the gym. She'd snap a quick video, post it on YouTube. What I didn't realize that's that's when all of a sudden we started getting athletes from other states coming, traveling to New Jersey to stay and train with us, and then coming from other countries to come train oh, with us. It was just Damn. one day. It's like you check your email and rugby players from England want to come. And uh, we had volleyball players from Italy and uh, a, an Olympic snowboarder from Switzerland. Like all, we just started getting all these crazy athletes and from all over the world to come to like, you know, a broken down warehouse in New Jersey, which is just, it still was surreal to me when I, when I'd pull up to work each morning. But um, we started developing that name where people all over the country and, and the, the world were really starting to follow us. So that's when I moved into another uh, I could get into, I, I got offered a reality show from a very, very big production company too that I turned down. I kind of oh, kept oh, my integrity. We well, get what was, that. Yeah, what was the theme of that? Uh, they wanted it to be like, they pitched it originally like what I wanted it to be, which was the interesting stories of all these athletes from all over the world with these dreams of, you know, trying to make it to the NFL or high school kids trying to get a scholarship. And we did have a unique bunch of characters in the gym, which I thought there was plenty of reality and storyline without having uh, to fabricate anything. The drama was all there. And it quickly started, uh, turned into, hey, can does your dad come by the gym? Do you guys fight a lot? Can uh, yeah. If he came in- Can we get him to drink? Can, yeah, and then <laughs> they'd set up you know, lighting in the corner of the gym and say, like, if you argue with your dad, can you walk over there? And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't what <laughs> I- Super orchestrated. Yes, yeah. and um, so I had, I, I was under contract for two years. They shot like a sizzle reel, met with A&E, History Channel, like, and uh, I probably one of the few people in the world who turned down uh, a reality show just because 
you know, I give a shit about my integrity. Yeah. And I said, no matter how, if this turns into the Jersey Shore of gyms, <laughs> one day it's going to be over. It would have been huge. I'm, but, I'm, yeah. yeah, huge for a couple of years. And right. then my integrity right. shot. Right. I'm done. No, it's you, over. You made the right decision. So, uh, the snooky of fitness here. Yeah. yeah <laughs> the, who knows what I, what I could have been. But um, so all these things started happen, happening. Uh, Tim Ferriss came to the, to the gym. I was the guy who, who, uh, he when he was doing research for his four hour body book, I was the guy who who kind of put him through a mini combine. Uh, that was huge pub for my gym, and I think that might be how Aubrey Aubrey Marcus, uh, the CEO of On It, first heard about me. I might be wrong, but for some reason, I'm I'm remembering him saying something about the uh, the four hour body book with Tim Ferriss because that that was very that was a big uh, thing for my business, mm. but. One day, if it, whether it was that or him just kind of hearing about me, one day I got a call that he was in New York and um, I was taking Shroom Tech at the time. They had on it just kind of started getting big, not like they are now, but they started to have a name and uh, working with a lot of athletes. I was always looking for, you know, any edge, any legal edge you could get. And I was mm -hmm. never into the pre-workout stimulants for athletes like most pre-workouts just because they're not just lifting weights they're doing you know energy system training mm -hmm. and a lot of sprint training and in the summer I'd, I was always looking for something that can maybe help them without giving them the heart palpitations and you know some of the negative effects that a lot of the pre-workouts had I stumbled on the shroom tech sport supplement which I loved and um I started taking it, started giving it to some of my athletes. I think I just, without having any kind of affiliation with on it or anything, I'm the type of guy, if I like something, I'm, I'll give you a plug on Twitter or Instagram. You know, maybe it's not good business. You know, I'm not looking to get paid for everything. I'm genuinely trying to help people. So I think I was really like promoting the shroom tech sport for a while because it was really working well. Uh, with my athletes on quote unquote conditioning days. And that's how, and then Aubrey, I think appreciated that. And then he was in New York one time for business. He said, I'd love to stop by your gym. He stopped by, he trained. I let him jump in with my, NFL. I had a group of NFL guys, eight to 10 NFL guys. I had him jump in, train with those guys. He was kind of picking my brain along the way. And uh, two, three months after that, I got a random call from him saying, listen, we have, we have about 10,000 square feet of space in our warehouse. At that point, they were just supplements. They weren't doing much with their training and like the kettlebells and all the implements that they have. He said, instead of doing our own gym, I'm looking more for a well-respected brand, someone that's well-known in sports performance. And of all the gyms I've, I've traveled to in the world, when I went and trained with you that one day, the atmosphere of your gym, your knowledge, uh, you had the most well-rounded program. It wasn't just strength. It wasn't just mobility. You, you had the most well-rounded program that, that I've ever been around. What do you think about uh, having a DeFranco's at the Onnit headquarters as kind of a satellite location um, for your business. So what he didn't know at the time, what I was struggling with my, at that point, my gym is like any, any men's health, muscle and fitness, anytime they would have like a top 10 gyms in the world, mm -hmm. top 10 gyms in America, my gym was always listed. And, and not because I had any connections with any of those magazines, they just genuinely, I'd get a call saying, Hey, this is some so-and-so for men's health. We did a top 10 list. Your gym is on that list. Like, so my point being, we were at the, the peak of popularity 
But behind the scenes, and this is a, we could get into this too, I'm sure, but I didn't, as the business grew, the headaches that came along with it, I wasn't as happy, even though most people thought I was a multimillionaire. I have one of the, you know, most badass gyms in the world, training all these pro athletes. But I had, I just had twin daughters. I was never home. I was like burning the candle at both ends, burnt out like crazy. My wife, well, girlfriend, wife now, girlfriend at the time telling me like, you, you're killing yourself. Like, I know you love the gym, but I don't know, like maybe instead of having a second location in Austin, maybe that's almost, I don't want to call it an out, but like you're, you're starting to do some stuff online. I, I just gotten triple H as a client and I was doing stuff with the WWE. I really didn't need the gym. It was almost more of a um, as you guys know, the gym business, it doesn't make you as much money as people mm-hmm. no, think it does, especially like private warehouse, you know, uh, it, and some of the richest pro athletes are the cheapest. That's a whole nother oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's thing. so much yeah. truth to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So people don't understand that either. Because uh, it's an honor to train them. That's y- why. Yes. Yeah. I, I just give you a picture you put on the wall and that's, that pays <laughs> that's your mortgage, like right? Yeah. Bucks right no. uh, so, yeah. So. Very, very hard, difficult decision, like laid up at night for months. But I finally decided I would have never shut the gym down completely. But having the still having DeFranco's kind of live on in on it without me having to do all the kind of behind the scenes day to day. I was like, mate, that's this might be the perfect move. So I had a young trainer at the time, Cameron Joss, who just graduated college, wanted to work full time at the gym. He was single, 23, 24 years old, uh, didn't have you know family obligations in New Jersey. He was. I asked him, I'm like, would you be interested in going and running DeFranco's at the Onnit Academy? Like, you'd be the guy. I'm not going to be there. Like, I'll fly in and out here and there, help you get it set up. But like, you're going to be the guy. He said, yes, uh, we did it for two years. It was great, but on it kind of grew tremendously. So at that time, so they they started doing more, um, it, you know, training in the in the gym business, so to speak. Even though the the training and the clientele a little different, they have some athletes and some MMA guys certainly that they work with. But for the most part, we were still kind of the the athlete training, and they were doing more general pop. But we, we just grew out of it. Like it was now that 10,000 square feet with on it doing training as well. And our training, it was one of those things where we grew out of that space. If we wanted to continue, we'd have to open up, open up our own location. Cameron just want nothing, nothing bad happened. He just wanted to move back to New Jersey. He was like, I tried it. Not really my, my place that I want to live the rest of my life. I think I want to come back to New Jersey. I didn't want the headache of opening up. I was, you know, overwhelmed with my New Jersey gym. I didn't want to open up a gym in Austin separate from on it where I have to go back to running the day to day. So we just kind of mutually parted ways. Uh, I didn't even know. I didn't even notice that. So mm-hmm. are you, is your name pulled off on things? Yeah, yeah. All that. It wasn't for a while. It was that's why it took them, you know, to paint over and they kind of rebranded. Uh, their gym now as well. Cause I know they have like 10th planet jujitsu in there. And mm-hmm. I think they were figure, I don't want to speak for Aubrey or them, but I think they were almost trying to figure out what they wanted to do in their space. So that's why the, the everything, our jerseys were up on the wall still and the name was up. But now like Cameron is back in New Jersey. He trains 
athletes out of my, I told you guys I have similar to what you have more of a, a private non-descript uh, studio where we have a couple kind of VIP pro athletes that come mm-hmm. uh, and train with us, not open to the public. He runs that. Uh, he trains 98% of the athletes that come oh, wow. in there. And um, we're, we're completely out of Austin now. Right. Oh, wow. wow. So what do you do now? Uh, so you kind of scaled yourself back in terms of how involved you were with all the running the gyms and the training. How did you scale yourself back? What kind of things did you move into? So I, while I was running the gym and I talked about being overwhelmed at that time, and while I thought I w- what made me able to maybe pull out of the gym was I had uh, started a certification with, with my partner, Jim Smith, Smitty, from Diesel Strength and Conditioning, longtime friend. Uh, we started our CPPS certification seven years ago now, going on eight years already, which is crazy. Uh, but that was like, three years in the making, 40 plus years of combined experience. We just got frustrated with uh, just the, and still the whole system. You guys know the certificate, there's 9 million certifications. None of them mean anything. We both had every certification under the sun and realized we never used them when, you know, we were young and started actually training athletes in the real world. You had to kind of figure things out for yourself. So we were like, say we, we changed the game and came up with the cert that actually made you a better coach. When you went back to work on Monday, you could utilize this stuff. And, and those letters meant something after your name. It's not just most certifications. Unfortunately, it's a seminar that they jack up the price and hand you a certificate at the end. So instead of charging a hundred bucks, they charge a thousand and say, Oh, it's a certification, but you're not, you're not learning anything mm-hmm. like, or, or, especially the coaching aspect. Ours is a true, I call it, it's the equivalent of a college curriculum for personal trainers and coaches. And you don't just get a cert, a certificate after the, uh, the weekend you have to go home, do vit, train people on vit, on camera, all the things that you learned, you have to show us, Oh you, wow. sh- you have to video record yourself implementing it show us that you're using the coaching cues. Oh, How do you so train a real, there's a real accountability. You have that portion and then a written test on top of it that you send in. And, you know, you don't just pass, like we go through those videos and those tests. Wow. And, um, well, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that the, the, the popular certs, the one that's the ones that make all the money. One of the reasons why they make a lot of money is they have a high pass rate. That's yeah. part of the formula. Part of the formula is you have to have a certain amount of people passing. Otherwise, nobody wants to – it's harder to sell it. Exactly, exactly. So ours certainly isn't easy. Uh, We were talking before we started recording. I think we're up to 12 DVDs or 12 videos, seven or eight manuals that you get in the mail before you even come to the -hmm. the cert. Then it's a full weekend – 8, 8.30 in the morning till 6 at night. We don't n- normally break for lunch. Uh, ton, just super comprehensive from assessment and, and you know, kind of pre, pre-movement prep and warming up to speed, power training, program design, and, and everything in between. So that took up a huge chunk of time. But once we got it up and running, mm. has become, um, you know, a sustainable business that is growing. And, and now I think we've certified over a thousand coaches over the course of seven years, which still isn't a lot. Oh, you know, when you compare it to other certs, to your mm-hmm, point, mm-hmm. it's not just get as many people in here, get their money and say they're certified. Um, but 
that's how we wanted it. So that took up a lot of time, energy, effort. That was one thing. Uh, we, I have a, a DeFranco Insider, a membership community where I give a ton of, of free information online, but for the more advanced stuff and, and more specific type programming and, and exercise demonstrations and some live seminars that we give, those type of things, those are on the DeFranco Insider. That's, that's a, a monthly membership type of deal. So between those two things and getting Triple H and Stephanie McMahon from the WWE as a client uh, and training them two, three days a week. And uh, I'm, I'm a consultant for their developmental program in Orlando, the, the WWE Performance Center, uh, implements our CPPS system with all the, the aspiring WWE superstars. Those three things enabled me to make um, enough of a living where I felt comfortable if I get rid of the gym, I'll still be able to, you know, pay my mortgage and, and feed my kids. Yeah. And earlier you were saying how you have a, a lot of CrossFitters now that are taking <laughs> your course, even though you've been, op you know, openly and vocally uh, critical, uh, yes. criticized kind of the CrossFit. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because of your exercise science background and, uh, you know, like very sports specific style training. Now CrossFit emerges out of nowhere. Like what, how, what did that look like for you in your gym? Well, the thing that annoyed the hell out of me was I had my storage closet gym. I, I started in 2003. I don't know when CrossFit came along in the quote unquote boxes, but the thing that pissed me off is when people would see my gym and be like, oh, CrossFit. You, it's CrossFit. I'm like, I was before CrossFit was a thing. Right. I, we had, I had tractor tires in the gym and chains and sledgehammers and yeah, heavy man balls. That. Like they invented it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was, I was, I was doing full seminars on, on sled training and yeah, heavy sled drags and, but implementing it properly, not just random bullshit, throw it against the wall, see what sticks kind of deal. <laughs> Um, I like this guy. So besides that, that just more of an annoyance that people would come in and say, oh, is this CrossFit? People that didn't really know who we were. Uh, but for the most part, mo I didn't. people would come to DeFranco's because they knew of us already and mm -hmm. the reputation. 98% of our business, I would say, was referrals of other athletes that train there or they watched our YouTube videos. So we didn't get many naive people, but a couple parents would come in. That would be annoying. But the thing that affected my business and training was obviously not every kid, especially the high school kids, they can't train with us and afford maybe to train four days a week with us the entire year. So a lot of high school kids would train with us twice a week, but then they would have to lift at school twice a week. And we would do our best to educate them, give them some, some stuff to do at school without kind of stepping on the coach's toes um, and being respectful. But the thing that, that pissed me off and all, and all my coaches was they would train with us twice a week, you know, properly where we're giving a shit about warming up and, um, you know, quality of movement and technique. And then they, we ask them, Oh, what are you doing at school on Thursday and Friday? Oh, uh, Friday it's CrossFit Friday. We do, <laughs> we do CrossFit. My biggest problem with CrossFit, listen, if you're an adult and you want to go to CrossFit class, it's a free country, do what you want to do. When athletes do CrossFit as their off-season training, that, that drives me nuts. And that's where it is. I, I don't say many things are good or bad because context is, is, you know, context matters. But doing CrossFit as a football player, baseball player, hockey player is bad. That is yeah. not Horrible even close, maybe the worst 
way to train because you have a very, very specific energy system demand, very specific demands of your sport. Training for everything is the worst thing you can do as a football player when the average football play lasts four to six seconds and you get 20 to 40 seconds break and there's X amount of plays per game. You don't need to be doing random train everything. I call it, it's like going to dinner and, you know, having spaghetti, cereal, a steak of, you know, and like just sushi, like mix every friggin' main course and, and, and meal on the planet and just have it all in one meal. You're probably going to puke if you do that. Same thing with CrossFit, throw a whole bunch of shit in the workout. Yeah. And, and ironically, most and people puke, puke at the end yeah. of the workout yeah. <laughs> and in, in using them in ways that they're not, that's not appropriate, like Olympic list of fatigue. I never understood that part. It didn't nope. make any sense to me because that's not their, their value at all. And it increases the the danger factor, you know, by a million, by exactly. doing something that needs to be perfect yeah. every single time. I mean, talk about the how important it is to train for specific types of adaptations or specific types of, of performance. Skills, yeah. yeah, like like if I'm going to train for power, there's a specific way to train for power. I'm not going to do plyometrics to fatigue in a circuit because now I'm using something that's good for power and I'm turning it into – I might as well jump in place. You're bastardizing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah this is, we, we talk about – this a lot. I've spoken about it on my podcast uh, recently a lot too, because it, it comes up so often. And that's, and again, I think the, in the world of Instagram and we have five seconds to catch someone's attention, mm -hmm. they see something like a box jump. And so they go, Oh, football players do box jumps to get explosive quote unquote. So then they throw it in their CrossFit workout, but exercises in and of themselves aren't magic. So it's, it's, it's how you execute that exercise. 100%. So I could take a box jump and that could be an amazing exercise for developing explosive power. If I implement it properly, low reps, high quality, high speed, full recovery. So, so there's maximal outputs, maximal recruitment with every jump. That's how I'm going to jump higher doing a hundred box jumps in the least amount of time possible at the end of my workout when I'm fatigued. Now you just took a great quote unquote explosive power made exercise and made it the worst exercise <laughs> known to mankind for a football player looking to improve his explosiveness. So that's where um, execution matters. It's, it's not, it, there's no magic exercises. We, I, I used to, when I was younger, you would think, oh, football players, they have to squat, they have to bench, they have to clean. You had like these exercises that you thought, um, they, they, were, they were all basically uh, categorized for different sports. Football players, bench, squat, deadlift, clean. Baseball players do a lot of rotator cuff work. Like everybody kind of had their, the, this, the exercises that were associated with those different sports. But as you get older and you gain more experience, you realize you could switch out. It's not about the exercise. It's more about the the fundamental movements. And I can't tell you how many NF. I have more NFL players that don't barbell squat than do barbell squat because as I've gotten older and I've trained more football players longer into their career, year four, six, eight, ten, twelve. They get beat up, and mm -hmm. yes, I want them to remain strong, and I want I want to do everything I can to make them more resilient to injury, but it can't be at the expense. You know, the, the last thing in the world I want to do is get them hurt in the gym. Right. So maybe a barbell squat isn't the best thing for a 37-year-old NFL so you're offensive like unilateral lineman. training? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, more so. Stance, unilateral. Uh -huh. A lot more unilateral work. 
Um, maybe it is a goblet squat. You can't overload it as much, but if someone with low back issues that's just looking to maintain their strength, I'm going to throw in a goblet squat. We, we've done a ton more unilateral work. We're still getting that squat pattern. Mm-hmm. There's just, it, it, you have to get out of that mindset thinking that you have to get certain mm-hmm. exercises into a program. It's, it should always, the, the exercises and the methods should be determined by the athlete and their initial assessment when you get them. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think too, in the, it, when when an athlete first starts off, or you're first trying to add that, you know, that strength and that muscle mass, those exercises make more sense. But as they get more experience, it's like look, you're trying to sculpt a piece of art out of a, a you know a piece of granite. You start off with a sledgehammer, then you move down to the finer instruments and tools. And these yes. these are experienced athletes that you're working with. Does it make sense to take a sledgehammer to them? In fact, that's going to well, probably make we're things We're talking worse. about uh, athletes right now, but I would argue that it's just the same applies to the general population. Yes. You made a comment before we got on, on air about certifications and how, holy shit, then all of a sudden you get a training client that's like, oh, this client has a back problem. What the fuck do I do? Nothing <laughs> yeah. helps. So I, I look at like CrossFit and I see... I see the the general population like has no business there. I mean, I I have been a trainer for 16 years now, going on 17 years, and I've never taught a client a snatch. Like you just yeah, me neither. Right? Yeah. Like it's just <laughs> what's it's, the point? It's yeah. just so advanced, and it, it it would take me months, sometimes years, for clients just to get them to move properly, yep. just a basic movement, much less something so skilled like that. So. I have the the bone I have to pick with them. It has more to do with just the average Jane or Joe, which is what I see when I walk into those facilities. I don't see a lot of athletes. I see a lot of fucking moms with had three kids and carrying thirty extra pounds of, of body fat on them that can't do a proper body weight squat, much less learn a snatch or do any of these these high level movements. Uh, exactly, it, it's baffling the amount of clients or athletes, wh- whoever you're talking about. If, if you just did a basic body weight squat in your assessment or a basic overhead, have them go up against the wall, put their head and low back against the wall and reach both arms overhead, the amount of people that can't do that it, it, while maintaining proper position, mm-hmm. you know, most, oh, I would say yeah. well over 90% Easy. can't, can't do a proper overhead reach with no weight or body, body weight prisoner squat, hands behind your head, no external load, just squat down, stand up over 90% can't. Yet how many people in the gym are squatting, overhead pressing, barbell benching, mm-hmm. deadlifting? It's that's why and that's why lifting weights gets the reputation yeah. it does with a lot of the mainstream public. Oh, it's dangerous. Oh, it's bad for your joints. Right. Yes, if you do it improperly, just like anything else, it is bad for you. But if you implement it properly and and you assess your clients and then slowly progress and build. That's when training and resistance training is probably the healthiest, right. most beneficial thing you could do in the world. I think I still think lifting weights is, if you had a pick, is the single best form of exercise yeah. for athletes, general pop, everybody in between. Absolutely, it's uh, it, it, you can completely individualize it to the to the person. And in the context of modern life where we're sedentary, we have all this food in front of us, it speeds up your metabolism. No other form of exercise does that. But then going back to the squats and the deadlifts and the overhead presses, the goal, my goal always was to be able to get my client to be able to do those things. Sometimes they never got to that point. Sometimes I trained somebody, Mrs. Johnson, who's 65 years old. I trained her for three years. We never got to the point where we could do a barbell squat. But boy, did she get a lot better because the goal was to get her to be able to do some of these fundamental movements. Yep. You know? 
I, not, I don't want to interrupt, but just think you're talking about like average Mrs. Jones or whoever. I could tell you Triple H, who you know most people know, one of the most jacked, you know, uh, well-known specimen, uh, you know, athlete slash performer slash celebrities in the world. He still hasn't. I've trained him for over eight years. We haven't done a regular free barbell squat. The only uh, variation of barbell squat I've ever done with him is a box squat because of his uh, knee injury. He he tore both quad tendons, like off the bone, both legs, uh, severe, severe knee issues, ankle issues. He, he, uh, he, he got suplexed into a like wooden pallet and a piece of the wood splintered off, went through his wrestling boot, through his calf, to his bone, ripped it out, just soaked with blood, finished the match. Um, I just... I don't know what made me think of that because it's, it, it, <laughs> it's one of the stories. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, when I first met him, he told me that story and I was like, holy shit. But That's hard uh, the first time I trained him, I've trained him for over eight years now and like he he's had the worst ankle mobility I've ever seen. It's just like granite, like he's in a cast, like just no movement. But then you hear about you know, he's wood pallets getting, you know, shoved through his calf muscle, high ankle sprains, broken ankles. Now he's 49 years old. My point being, even though people look at him on TV and you see this jacked specimen, famous dude, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, fit a square peg in a round hole or whatever you want to call it. Like just because he's an, a, a jacked, advanced, strong athlete, I'm not making him barbell squat when his body can't perform that. I'm not going to try to make him do an exercise that doesn't fit for him because of his knee issues and his lack of ankle mobility. Yeah, I still want him to to get that squatting pattern in and I want to overload it because of the physical demands in the ring. But a box squat allows him to sit back, a little less ankle mobility required, much less stress on the patella tendon and knees, more glute hamstring activation, which he lacked when I first started training him, et cetera, et cetera. That makes it a better exercise for him. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean box squats are better than free squats. It means for this client, that's the perfect fit. And that's what you should be doing for everybody. You know what I think part of the problem is, is, and I, I, I remember coming up with this years ago, watching somebody run. When you go outside in the summer here in California, a lot of people like to run, and nobody knows how to run properly. No, everybody no. runs terribly. Athletes don't yeah. know how and to I, run and properly. And I'm watching me. these people, and I'm like, this person's going to hurt. There's no way they're going to continue. And I thought to myself, like, God, humans evolved to run. One thing that we do better than any other animal is run for distance, really, in terms of athletic performance, and throw for accuracy. Those are the two things that we we do really well. And I said, God, why, do, why does running cause so many injuries? I said, I know. Because people don't run to learn how to run. They don't run to practice running. They run to get tired. And I think this may be some of the problem with all exercise, including weights. People go to the gym and lift weights not to perfect the skill of weights. They're not practicing weights. They're lifting weights to hurt. They're lifting mm-hmm. weights to feel. I'm here to hit my legs. I want my legs to get sore and I want to feel the pump and it's got to burn or whatever. Rather than going in saying, I want to perfect the split stance squat. I want to perfect the front squat. I want, and you go into practice. Yes. I think if people treated it like practice, it would be totally different. I think we'd have much more, a better, uh, better chances of it going mainstream and being the form of exercise. A hundred percent. But everybody, I think the problem with athletes and general pop is everybody's after the feeling that they have right. that day. You know, they want to walk out of... That's why one of the reasons CrossFit is very popular. You Absolutely. walk out of there, yeah, feed right you're tired, that. and you're, that must have done something. I puked. I feel like shit. I'm sore as hell. I can't walk for three days after. But they're not... 
they're what they should be doing is what's your goal? You should you, everybody should have a goal. Why are you training? You should be training for something, and then evaluate every couple weeks, months. Have you gotten any closer to that goal? Have you achieved that goal, mm-hmm. or are you just always freaking tired and sore? I I you I um, use the terms like training versus working out where I like to say a training program is there's a plan involved. There's, there's a reason and a purpose to everything you do. Monday's workout is setting you up for, you're not going to kill yourself on Monday because we want to come back on Tuesday or Wednesday and train. And Wednesday's workout is going to respect what we did on Monday. And everything's building and progressing to a specific goal. The, The workouts aren't just individual, you know, separate entities where we walk in and you go, oh yeah, you guys have a barbell on the floor. Let's deadlift today. All right, let's run around the block a couple of times. Let's just get tired. There's no reason. There's no purpose. There's no progression or plan. And that's again, one of my issues with CrossFit and like some of these group exercise classes in general, you can't do it in a group. separate. Mm -hmm. They're, they're just, there's no plan. There's no progression. They're all just separate entities, each workout. Do you remember when you started to piece that together as a trainer? I remember I remember having this attitude where it was either all or nothing. I was either all on my program, balls to the wall in my, my training, or I was I was completely off the wagon. And I, I realized that, that that was setting me up for failure. It was also setting me up for hitting these plateaus all the time. Do you remember at what part of your career that you kind of evolved beyond that? Because I know a lot of guys, especially when they come from the the sports performance background, they tend to gravitate towards this, you know, intensity all the time and, and training that way instead of training smart, like you're alluding to right now. Yeah, and th- that's a great question because I think we all, when we first start, you you get after it, and there's that mentality of kicking ass and beast mode, and you want to get jacked, and you think that's what you have to do. You just associate training with hurting and that's part of the process. But I think what helped me um, get over that and understand a little better was when I started working with college football players, preparing them for the NFL combine, because that is very, very specific. It's like on this date, you have to run a 40 yard dash, do a vertical jump, a broad jump, a 225 bench test, except there's seven tests that we have to get better at. I started getting guys and Quickly, I realized they would tell me what they were doing with a, a former coach, or I would get. A, I'd also get guys that went to the NFL Combine, didn't perform well, and then seeked me out because then you have a pro day. Basically, you have another chance at your school after the NFL Combine. Each of the big time D one universities have a pro day, which is basically a combine at your school. So if you don't do well at the combine in February, in March, early April, you you have a chance to kind of redeem yourself. So I would get some of those guys that were like, man, I, I ran a really shitty 40 time. I, I got four weeks, man. Can you help me out? I got to redeem myself. And when I would ask them what they were doing, I realized all of them worked hard. It was, man, I don't know what happened. I, I was doing two a days. I was doing three a days. We were killing it. And I, you know, I don't consider myself the smartest guy in the world. I got an 890 on my SATs. I'm not that naturally smart, <laughs> but it just, I was like, what, you're training for a 40 yard dash, which, which takes four and a half seconds <laughs> right. and is a very specific skill. And I don't care that you train 16 hours a day. Clearly that has nothing to do with, you need to be really fast, really efficient, really explosive for 4.4 seconds great. You trained three times a day for six weeks. And so when, 
one of my big, and I had an issue with that with NFL agents because they were more about just babysitting guys. They would get these young, you know, their kids about to become multimillionaires. So they would care more about how much time I kept them in the gym because they were worried about them getting in trouble. <laughs> so I, that was, that's a whole nother issue, but I always battled with that. And I was like, no, my, I have a reputation for getting results and taking these no-name guys and having them perform well at the combine. And kind of like my secret sauce was I wasn't killing them. I, I, I added them all up. One, if you add up all the NFL combine tests, there's seven main ones. It's less than 20 seconds of total work in the three days that you're there. So it's your training has to be specific. Mm -hmm. There, there has to be a reason and a purpose and a progression for everything you do. And after I did that for a number of years and developed a name and reputation as, as a top guy, when I certainly didn't have the facilities that the, you know, top, all the top places were in California, Arizona, Florida, nice weather climate, you know, beautiful areas. I was competing with, with those guys, in my broken down New Jersey gym in freaking <laughs> February. Um, the reason why they would, take that trek to New Jersey and the shitty weather and, and all that was the results I was getting. And then when we started training more general pop clients, it just, it kind of hit me one day. It's like normal people should train like that too. They might not be looking to improve their 40 yard dash, but whether their goal is to drop, you know, and that was the other thing that made me realize your goal needs to be specific. You can't just say, I, Mrs. Jones can't just tell you, I want to get in shape. You you should make her give you a specific goals. What does in shape mean to you? Uh, I want to drop 4% body fat by June 1st mm. because I have a pool party. I'm going on vacation, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Have have one main goal and then you could have maybe you know two or three other goals that kind of complement it, but a specific goal and then a reason and a purpose for everything you do to get there. Everything you do should be to help you accomplish that goal. Some of those workouts, exercises, techniques might make you tired and be hard. Some might not be, you know, from an effort standpoint. But as long as we're reaching that final destination, and it's never final, you always want to have it to be ongoing. But as long as, as it's, we're working towards a goal and improving, that's what I always sold them on. Don't just go on the feeling for today. Look more big picture. Why did you hire me? I'm doing, I, you, by all means, ask questions. I don't like when people question me, but asking <laughs> questions I have no problem with answering because I have, I legit have a reason and a purpose for every freaking thing I do from the very first warm up exercise to the last cool down exercise. I could tell you why we're doing it and it's all to help you get to that goal. Is there, is there a major difference? Like, let's say you get said client that's, you know, NFL or aspiring NFL athlete. Or you have the you know the typical mom who's got to lose 20, 30 pounds and she's had two or three kids. Is there a different protocol on how you, you assess and start them? Are they similar? That's another great question. It's more similar than you think. People think like pro athlete, like, oh, it must be crazy, the shit you do. Not really. Like, I would say the general assessment is this. I wouldn't say it is. The general stuff is the same. Like we spoke about a simple overhead reach with your back and head up against the wall, um, a body weight squat, a, uh, 
a, a push up can you can you hold a a push up position when we remove one base of support lift up your left hand lift up your right hand lift up your left leg what are your hips doing what you know what's your upper back doing um there's a couple basic assessments that we do the biggest difference for the athletes would then be we add in the performance based ones at the end, like in within the warm up, I'm gonna run a 10 yard sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, we're gonna do a vertical jump. Uh, so I'm I'm probably gonna test a a regular vertical jump with a counter movement compared to a static jump, which is gives you a ton of great information for an athlete. Basically, you have them perform a vertical jump, then give them a couple minutes, then do another one, but this time when they descend, hold in the bottom for three to five seconds. And then from there, explode up and see the difference. Generally, you want the static jump for like a, a quote unquote well-balanced athlete. Uh, the static jump is going to be about 85% of the counter movement jump. If I've had a lot of athletes that their static jump is the same, they, they vertical jump 30 inches and then they could vertical jump 30 inches from a static position. That would show you that they're more force dominant. They're, they're stronger than they are faster. Mm. So they would benefit from more dynamic speed work and explosive work oh, like that athlete needs more that speed um, then you get more the the elastic reactive type mm-hmm. you know leaner uh nfl receiver types that you give them a counter movement they jump through the roof mm-hmm. as soon as you don't let them use you kind of negate the the effects of the stretch shortening cycle and you make it more force dominant and just strength dominant they can't, you know, they can't jump over a sheet of paper. That athlete would benefit from a little more strength work. So little things like that, maybe not as important for, you know, my mom, but for an athlete, super important and will help you reach your goals way faster. Have there been like uh, athletes that you assessed and as you're going through it, you're going like, holy fuck, this kid's going to be a blast to work with. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, what are the tells? Like, what do you see Like when, you, when you're doing that? You're like, oh, this is going to be fucking awesome. Though The best ones are the ones that are already, you know, th- they come to you and they've, they're have they already pretty much a freak athlete. But then in our world of, you know, regular assessment, strength training, you know, the, the general physical prep aspect of it, you'll be surprised how many of them suck. Mm. Like, you, NFL Big 300-pound NFL lineman who can't make it through a 10-minute dynamic warm-up. They're gassed. They just they have no just general physical preparedness, like just no general fitness. Um, a lot of them are not as strong as you would think. They have great leverage because they have really long arms, but mm-hmm. the amount of NFL linemen that uh, couldn't even bench press 315, uh, would you would be amazed. Wow. Oh, and wow. not that no it's way. the be-all, end-all, but you would, uh, you would be shocked at – at how you know weak these guys are in our weight room world. I love working with them because they've already, if they made it to a high level without any of that, they're just kind of blessed on the field. Those are the guys just, you get them generally stronger. You, that, that NFL lineman who can't bench 315, when you get him to bench 365 and you improve his general fitness and you increase his mobility a little bit so his low back doesn't hurt as much anymore. Now, he was already a freak with with a low level of GPP. Now you improve that and now you have yourself a super freak all pro type. Do you have, and it's easier yeah. than you think. Do yeah. you have like a, a favorite uh, that you that you look back and you go, oh man, I, I, I took this kid and he did it that you're most proud of that that you've looked and watched how he's expressed all that you've put into him? Yeah, the one of the big ones, and I'm 
showing my age now because this was always a very timely story and now he's already retired from the NFL. (laughs) Come, gone, went, like married, like, you know, the amount of kids I trained in high school that are married with children now and have kids that are, you know, coming to me. It's crazy. But, um, uh, Miles Austin was a receiver oh, with shit. the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys. Yes. Yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan. Oh, all right. So yeah. you know, you know, he had that two or three year stint where he was like the best receiver yeah, in the NFL. Bro. He came out of nowhere. No shit, I didn't know you trained him. Uh, that he didn't come out of nowhere. I will tell you. Uh, <laughs> Fuck yeah. He he was in a warehouse gym in New Jersey when nobody <laughs> knew who the hell he was. I, I love his story. A he's he was just great personality, big smile. One of those guys that you you love being around. Like I just love going to the gym when uh, when he was there because he just was one of those dudes who just the energy was awesome, super positive. So that's always important to me. But um, so he went to Monmouth College, which at the time was one double A non scholarship, almost like a pretty much like a Division three school mm-hmm. in New Jersey, non scholarship. He was actually a um. He threw the javelin in high school. It was like real high, high level javelin thrower. Football coach made him go out for football his junior year just because he was a good athlete. He went to a really small high school and ended up being really good, but not like scholarship fo- college football player. Goes to Monmouth College, real small school in New Jersey. Does good enough where he's on the radar of NFL scouts and teams because come combine time, he gets invited to the NFL combine, which was amazing being from the the small school he was from. Very long story short, he came to me. Why I love it so much is that was someone where the training really, really mattered. His Mm -hmm. agent walked in. He said, listen, he's a small school kid from a school nobody ever heard of. There's not one NFL player to ever come out of Monmouth College. The, you know, the, the, the cards, the stacks against him to begin with. He was 200 and he was like 222 pounds to, no, he was 240 when he first came he to was me as a receiver, wow. big ass and all in his ass and uh, thighs. <laughs> he, I don't and remember him looking that big at you're all. You're ready for Just this? Yeah. Huh? His favorite. And I, I know more about nutrition than your average guy, but I have a nutritionist I work with that I refer out for like the real high level stuff. I don't, um, claim to be an expert in that area, but I was able to do his nutrition because his favorite food was hot dogs with blue cheese. That was his favorite <laughs> food. I, I'll never forget it. Cause I remember, cause I remember he took his shirt off and he was shri- like, he had a six pack. He steps on the scale and he's two, six, two, two forty. I'm like, damn, you could, you, where, where are you holding it? And I'm like, what do you eat? And he and I don't mean to give away. I think I've told this story anyway. But he tells me my favorite food is hot dogs and blue cheese, and I only shit once every three days. Is that bad? That's not normal. Yeah, no, I know that's not. I, you would think you'd be shitting three times a day with that diet, but um. So he, he's too he's too heavy, and he. The NFL went to Monmouth College his junior year when he started to make a little noise to get a, a 40 time on him. And he ran a 4.62, which is very slow for a, a, a especially yeah. a small school wide receiver. So it was awesome. First day he ever walked into my gym, his agent, who was a young agent, like trying to get his first breakout client, he was like, listen, he got invited to the combine, but I talked to every NFL scout. They said they're not even looking at it. If he doesn't run a 4.4 or better, they're not even going to look at him. They're not going to give him a shot. He's not going to get a chance to show he could play in the NFL because coming from the school he came from, uh, no no scout is going to take a chance on a guy with a 4'6". Because if he doesn't pan out, what people don't realize is the scout that 
kind of pulled for him on that NFL team, that dude could get fired for wasting a pick or a position on a division three, 240 pound wide receiver runs a four, six. So that's why like the numbers at the combine, while we all know they don't tell the full story, those they're important in the sense of the coach or the scout Mm. that kind of pulls for you on that team. If you don't pan out, they at least have something to fall back on. They could go, listen, dude, the guy ran a 4-3, jumped 40 inches. Yeah, like, some how, metrics. how is anybody going to know he, he was going to suck on the field? Like, right. And so the guy could almost save his job that way. So, uh, yeah, so scouts aren't going to take a chance on a guy like that. So his agent said, you have to get him to run a 4-4 or better. I time him the first day because I never trust what anybody else says. Fully electric. He runs a 4-6-2, 40-yard dash electric. But his his first 10, he took like eight and a half steps to run 10 yards. So real short, choppy steps. Mm. Yet, when we got him in the weight room, he squatted over 500 first oh, day. Shit. Like just wow. easy with just like put the bar on his back. And I'm usually very, very cautious. And I, I err way more on the side of caution, especially during the first couple workouts. But it was one of those things, 315 looked like 225, 405 looked like 225, and he just kept going up. I stopped him at 505 and was like, damn, you're." he was the first athlete I ever got that said, you're strong enough for what you need to do in the next eight weeks that I have you. We're, we're not going to – I'm going to – I'm not going to use up any of your energy during the week trying to build your strength. I don't need to get you from a 505 squat yeah. to 550. Yeah. That's not going to get you from the 46 to the 44. You're already you have the strength to uh, run that if fast. If anything, it could almost hinder it. How much yes. muscle he has, I would think, right? Yes, his his lower body's so big and uh powerful, but his hips were very tight and um you know, I, I don't want to it's not, what I, the point I want to get across is it's even with a high level athlete like that it's not as complicated as people think. But there's also maybe a little more too. I'm not going to go through all of his training, but generally speaking, for eight weeks, we focused on mobility, like every from static stretching to dynamic to heavy ass sled drags with really big, long, powerful strides, opening up his hip flexors, his groin, mm-hmm. glutes, really opening up his stride length. And um, the strength training we did was predominantly unilateral work and sled work, very specific to the the angles. And, you know, the I wanted him getting very accustomed, applying force in the ground in the right direction. So the, the strength work was very specific to the 10 and the 40-yard dash. We worked a ton on mobility, cleaned up his diet, which was easy. It was basically like stop eating hot dogs with blue cheese. <laughs> uh, whenever he'd go out to dinner, he'd just call me at night. I remember like my wife at the time was like, uh, a girlfriend at the time, now my wife was like, you give these guys way too much access to you. But I was so invested because I was like, this is the guy, man, the no name who's going to make it. Uh, so we focused on those things. And uh, sure enough, NFL Combine comes. He runs a 4.47 we didn't run one 40-yard dash uh, in eight weeks. All I did was 10-yard sprints, open up his stride. Mm. Uh, he, he went from running 
taking eight and a half steps to running 10 yards to at the combine. I remember watching it. I knew before he even finished the 40, the first 10, I counted his steps. He, it took him six and a half steps to wow. run 10 yards. Wow. So he covered more ground. Right. It didn't look fast because the the ground contact is longer when you're accelerating because you're mm. building up speed. You're, you're eating up ground. It's more about force into the ground and angle, you know, that big forward body lean. He hit that 10 yard mark at six and a half steps. I was like, he's, he's got it. Right. And then he finished official time. Time four four seven, that he still didn't get drafted, um, and he had the highest vertical jump of the entire combine, forty and a half inches, which the dude could jump through the roof. Wow! But uh, that gets him that gets him a tryout with the Cowboys. Does good enough to make the team, which I don't. I take zero credit for. That's all him. The the football, uh, him showing what he could do on the field was all him. But you know, he would tell you. Those two steps, taking two less steps on a 10-yard sprint, mm-hmm. got his foot in the door with the Cowboys. He plays special teams for a year and a half. Had, the Cowboys have a couple injuries. Yeah, we had someone go down, and that's when he came in. He steps in, blows it up for a couple games. The next year, he signs for $54 million. Changed his life forever. And uh, not that I'm taking credit for that, but like helping him to – he doesn't yeah. get that – you know chance to show what he could do without that work we put in so like he's that one always stands out to me because it changed his life how many of these guys that you've impacted like this that remain like friends like did you build a bond with for almost all of them which is cool i mean you lose as they get older and have families and kids it's not like it's never the same as when i mean i'm with these guys more than i'm with my family which was an issue when i had the gym with my family which is why i don't (laughs) have the gym anymore uh one of the reasons but uh I, I always say that the the gym family, it's it's not just a cliche thing. That is a real thing. I'm with these guys multiple hours a day, every single day for months. Or s- I have I have some guys in the NFL. I have clients. My I have two clients right now that I've been training nonstop year round for 16 years. Wow! Like wow. I, I have I have more 10 plus year clients than I could even count at this point. Wow! So yeah, a couple of them make it to the big time and they they do the I got when like when Miles started dating Kim Kardashian I didn't hear from him too much for a period of time <laughs> Under, but, uh, understandably I let him let him slide on busy. that one let him slide on that one but uh otherwise for the most part and I, I think it's again it's a testament to the gym I, I I never marketed the gym it was all athletes that train there would tell their friends about it and they knew what it was you know it's no air condition we even at even my the, my my third gym, which right before we moved to Onnit, which I call like which was my dream facility, uh, you know the indoor turf field. It was still only five thousand square feet. It wasn't huge, like a it's certainly not a globo gym, but like five thousand square feet, hardcore warehouse, but no air condition in in like the back roads of New Jersey, two minutes away from the hood. Like it's just bare bones. I, it's like Rocky Balboa meets Ivan Drago, like the old school atmosphere of Rocky with exercise science and the, you know, all the new technology and equipment. Uh, I, I always thought it was like that perfect combo. But if you, if you were a prima donna type, you wouldn't like the gym because we didn't baby you. I don't make you a protein shake afterwards. And, you know, you don't, I don't set you up with your massage. Oh, like yeah. you, I, I always held athletes accountable, um, you know, seniority the the athletes that train there the longest they're the ones who get to pick the music it was one bathroom in the whole facility uh it's just it's not a place that you would that 
prima donnas would be comfortable. And I think that's why I have such a good relationship with the guys. Better type of people came there. You know, yeah. it's just it was kind of set up that way. Now, you're you're also a really fun guy to ask questions like this. Like you trained so many professional athletes. Was there anything that surprised you like about the politics of professional sports or seeing guys get fucked over on deals? Like, is there anything that surprised you when you started to get into all this? Yeah, uh, there is just as much politics in pro sports as any other aspect, uh, you know, of job. Like people sitting in the stands think that pro athletes have it easy, but they go through and listen, I don't, I, I don't feel sorry for them because their paycheck is pretty good for that, that, but that paycheck's pretty good, but it's also for a very short period of time. And they do have to deal with a ton of politics. You would think no, but I've just, I've been behind the scenes a little bit. There's, it's like the good old, you know, the boys club where my coach is now a coach. So I got the job because I knew this guy since college, even though someone else is more qualified than me. Unfortunately, it's not the best. Mm. I know a lot of amazing strength coaches who can't get a job in the NFL just because they don't have the connections, not because they, they're not good enough. And I know coaches, amazing coaches that were in the NFL that got fired because of the team not doing good, having a bad year, and maybe the head coach not being, you know, the best yet. The the strength coach is like the fall guy because it's easy to blame the strength coach. That was really surprising to me, just like talking to strength conditioning coaches we've even had on the show. is like, you know, how politics have eliminated their chances of, you know, getting on an NFL team or like helping them out or, you know, NBA where like, you know, they're getting these coaches and it's all based off of like, I know somebody and and it's this network that they found themselves in versus there's really not a lot of quality, real high quality strength conditioning coaches at the highest level. It seems like. Unfortunately not. Like I know like Buddy Morris is with the Arizona Cardinals. Amazing. One of the original strength coaches deserves the, the job, but he struck, he's gone periods of time where I remember him he think, thinking he was done and he couldn't get a job. And he's not the type to politics, so he hasn't, you know, maybe gotten some jobs that he does deserve. Uh, there's unfortunately a lot of that. And it, it's, just, it's hard, too, because it's a strange profession because I mean, we're all in this industry, so we clearly believe in strength conditioning and, you know, the physical prep that takes place in the off season and during the season. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's important, but there's, there's no way of gauging like, you know, you could get an athlete and do everything perfect, strength, conditioning, mobility, nutrition, and he blows out his knee the first play of a game, gets hit in a weird way Mm -hmm. and he gets injured. Is that the strength coach's fault? Can he have, you know, prevented that? There's no way to really gauge it. So uh, you could be the greatest strength coach in the world. And I, I, I always say it's like you, you don't, you probably don't get enough credit when, when things go good, the, the kind of coaches take, take, take all the credit and you probably take a little bit too much of the blame right. when things go First bad, you know, chopped. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Joe, earlier in the episode, you, you had talked about how important context is and you had talked about caffeine or stimulants and how you don't want some of your athletes having those because of the potential side effects of the heart palpitations or whatever. And yet when we read studies, studies show caffeine is great performance enhancer for endurance, for strength or whatever. 
Or for example, you know, I'll read a study that says eight to 12 reps builds the most muscle. And so when you look at studies, oftentimes they don't tell the whole story because as, a, as an experienced trainer, when someone asks me what rep range builds the most muscle, I'm going to ask them, well, what rep range are you training in now? <laughs> and it's the same thing with Kevin. How important is context when it comes to, because we're, what we see right now with social media is you have these either, either people who know nothing and promote terrible ideas, or you have these people that read studies and promote the science, but don't have the wisdom to apply it. And so they're saying, oh, hit cardio. That's the best way to do cardio. Always do hit cardio or caffeine. Yes. Great you know, performance enhancer. Take, you know, take caffeine all the time. Like, how important is context? It's ev- literally everything. And that's why I'm not a huge science or research guy, because I feel like it's always, you could always poke holes or context, or you know a guy or an athlete. Like, Just to go to your point of caffeine, I'm a huge fan of caffeine, and I... I agree 100%. It is the best pre-workout supplement uh, performance enhancer out there. I I don't know of any uh, legal supplement that is better than caffeine. But training thousands and thousands of athletes, I know some of them, even even in just a regular strength training workout, some are just sensitive to caffeine and they don't like how they feel. So if I have an athlete that says, dude, I drank coffee twice in my life and each time I felt like I was going to have a heart attack, I felt awful, I felt like I was going to pass out, I don't feel like I need it and I'm training them so I know they perform at a high level, their energy's high, they're strong, they're they're fast. You know, why am I'm not going to push caffeine on them because I have a study that says it might improve their performance by 12.7%. You know, and on the on the other end of that, um there are also I think there's it's dose dependent which you, you guys, I, I've when I've listened to your shows, you guys talk a lot about real world, which I always appreciated because, as someone who is an advocate of caffeine and and it's still my pre workout uh, supplement of choice, I also know when you I'm dealing with a lot of high school and college kids. If you say, "Oh, caffeine is good," take it pre workout. Yeah, right. If the if NO Explode says take one scoop, they're going to take three before the workout. And now I don't know if 800 milligrams of caffeine before, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be running hill sprints outside mm-hmm. in the 102 degree weather. Now caffeine's maybe not the best performance enhancer. So I don't know, only look at the studies. I also, I, I'm looking at real world reality. Like I know this Johnny and I know if he hears caffeine is good or one scoop is good, he's going to take three scoops when I'm not there. (laughs) So maybe better off I tell him that you don't need caffeine. Mm -hmm. Now, again, the scientists might say, oh, he's not up on the research. He just told this kid he doesn't need caffeine. No, it's because I've trained that kid for seven years and I know him and I know what he's going to do when Mm -hmm. he leaves here. And that's me. That's more the art of coaching Mm -hmm. and communicating and not just being book smart guy now, and I couldn't agree more with you and now now understanding that context is everything and I know that you focus mainly on the strength and conditioning aspect how often do you talk to them about other aspects of their life to, to get that context like well how's your sleep you know how's your relationships like what's going on with your diet and that kind of stuff every, every workout uh, starts with while they're warming up we have a a pre-warm-up that each athlete, when they come in for their assessment, we, when we assess them, 
everyone's going to have you guys. This is where the the general pop and athletes kind of it's all the same. You see the same issues: the the shortened pecs, the shoulder issues, low back problems, tight hips, stiff ankles, uh, knee pain, tendonitis. Wherever their issues are, if someone comes to us with knee pain and we see it's because their ankles are really, really stiff and locked up. And we're, we're saying the reason why you have that, that pain, a little bit of pain in your knee when you sprint and jump is because your ankles are stiff. Your body's trying to steal that mobility from your knee. So here's what I want you to do. Come in five, 10 minutes. We have all these pre-warmups up on the wall where you're going to do these three or four ankle mobility drills before we start the group warmup. And generally we train uh, our athletes, even our pro athletes in small groups, but they, but we individualize it during, mm. we have a pre-warmup that's, that's cool. very specific to their problem. So then they'll get more out of the general mm. dynamic warmup where we're doing basic calisthenics, just getting their core temperature up. I just bring that up because while they're doing those lower level pre-warm-up exercises that they kind of do on their own, that's where I'm walking around the gym saying, hey, hey Sal, you sleep last night? How's your girlfriend? How's your mom? You know, and you develop a relationship with all that's if you're a good coach, you develop a relationship with your clients, you get to know them. And that's when that conversation is taking place. And I'm asking all those questions. And if anyone I've ever trained will tell you to the point where they get annoyed with it, cause it's, it's the same ones. How's your sleep? What did you eat? Did you go out last night? Did you drink? How's your girlfriend? How's your wife? How's the kids? And I'm, you know, I'm listening more than I'm talking at that point, but I'm also looking, uh, at their face and their actions. That's another big one because most athletes will just get on autopilot and be like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. No, nah, yeah, I slept. I slept last night. Yeah, I, I had two drinks, but I'm fine. Right. And then you see him dragging ass, and you're like, "All right, they said they were fine, but I'm gonna, you know, take it easy today." And that's where kind of auto regulating your workout is so important. Mm-hmm. I we teach this at our cert. I say as as I, I love programming. It, it's one of the most enjoyable aspects for me. I love designing programs. Even having done it for 25 years at this point. I don't think there has been a workout in my life where I did not switch at least one thing on that card or that Mm -hmm, workout. Like there's always, and no matter how hard I try and how late I stay up and I try to factor in the conversations we had on that day and what they did last week and what we're going to do next, I factor in everything. And still during the course of that workout, at some point I'm going to go, ah, shit, no. Let's not do that. Let's do this instead. Or, oh, you look good today. Let's add a set. You know, it's constantly auto-regulating and thinking on your feet. Oh, and this is the biggest problem that I have with group training. I've been, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of shit for saying that I wish group training would die for this exact reason, because I don't think I have ever designed a program and f- followed my own program to an absolute yeah. D because you're always having and that that's already super individualized you know I sat down looked at all the mobility issues aches pains are dealing with what's going on wrote it all out then they get there then we start training and I see something I see a hitch in their movement I see like something going on with them and uh, right away I have to change what I decided to do yep. on the fly and that's just impossible to do in a group setting, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree. Mm-mm. Now, now you, you've been in fitness as long as you've have you you've seen the explosion and growth of social media to the point now where it's become, I would say, the dominant way that a lot of people are getting their fitness information. You know, in the early days, it was the magazines, then the internet. Now it's social media, mm-hmm. Instagram. 
Uh, what are your thoughts on all this? Good, bad? Do you have any <laughs> any opinions on this? Uh, yeah, as you can see, I have an opinion on pretty much everything. <laughs> but uh, I, it's good and bad. I, I try my best to focus more on the positive. I think it's good in that I wouldn't be sitting here right now. If it wasn't for social media, I probably don't know who you guys are. You don't know who I am. You know, we don't connect. Uh, so for sharing information and connecting and reach as as the i hate the word i hate the word influencer but whatever the hell you want to call oh, us. i hate that word too <laughs> i don't know it's a dirty dirty word yeah. Yeah. I, call me an asshole before you call me influencer. <laughs> like, i freaking hate that word but whatever the hell we are if we influence people people respect our opinion um we could reach more now like that i love knowing that i could post something right now and reach hundreds of thousands if not millions of people with one tweet or or post that's amazing because when you do it the other way before social media like working your ass off in a gym 12 hours a day and giving so much of you and at the end of that day you only help 12 people mm -hmm. you know like that's how I started one-on-one -on -one training around the clock 10 to 12 sessions a day and just answering and answering pretty much the same questions over and over and you're like right. man now I could put that out there and literally help 12 million as opposed to the just 12 that were in my gym. So that's amazing. But as I mean, I'm not, certainly not the first person to talk about the problem is there's no barrier for entry. You put, you put personal trainer in your Instagram bio or influencer or coach and you're, you're a coach. Like there's no qualifications. There's no barrier. Like there's literally nothing. And so it's hard for that 17, 18 year old, all of us, when we were coming up, I think we all probably started with the bodybuilding magazines and stuff, but there, because there just wasn't as much information, we were forced to go to the gym mm -hmm. and then try stuff. Mm -hmm. Now those kids go online and there's 9 million different influencers giving them bullshit advice, usually just trying to sell shit. Uh, and I just wish more of the younger kids would... I did a post about, I think Sal, that's when we've reconnected was when I talked about like, if you're going to take information from someone, at least first ask yourself, did they, are, am I following this person because they provide any value to me? Like, am I just looking at this chick's ass or this guy's abs? And that's why I like following him or did, did he or she give some advice that helped me? And that's why I'm following them. So many of these influencers, they don't provide any value. It's just more of a day in the life. Here's a picture of my food. Look at me. Look at me. Here's a physique update of me, 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 me. Look how much I lift. Look how good I look. And then they try to sell you stuff. The the old man in me is like, how freaking stupid are you to buy this shit? You know what I mean? But like, yeah. I also don't want to sound like that old miserable guy that's, you know, hating on the, the young upcoming generation. Yeah. I don't know who's more annoying, the influencers or the people dumb enough to, to buy from these people without doing their due diligence. Yeah. yeah, what it looks like to me is we have an explosion of information and knowledge. People actually generally know more today than they did 22 years yes. ago when I started in fitness, but the wisdom hasn't increased. Yeah, correct. So it's like, I've read all these things. I know keto diet. I know, you know, macros now, whereas before I had to teach people this kind of stuff. I know, you know, a barbell squat, whereas before, you know, 20 years ago, nobody was squatting in the Globo gyms or whatever. But the wisdom hasn't increased because you don't have that experience of working with people. So you got these coaches online who are 
coaching people based off of their knowledge, but they never trained people yep. for five, six, seven, ten years, so they don't have the experience that 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 brings along that wisdom. So that's where I see the big disconnect. For you know, I, I agree. I w- if there was a way where you have to have at least, I think five years is minimum. I would agree. Five years of training yeah. people in person before you can be an online coach 100% agree. or post any information on Instagram or have a website. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean that that's. I don't know if there's any way to to do that, but I feel like just myself, even my first, the first, and I, I, I come up with the five year thing because the first product I ever put out was a VHS tape mastering the football combine tests. And that was, uh, when I was training guys for the NFL combine after my fifth class. And at that point I had trained five years, five years of training guys specifically for those tests over a hundred different athletes, uh, 50 of which were dra- 50 plus drafted to the NFL, all hundred of which improved their, you know, electrically timed forties and vertical jump, like real measurable results for five years. Then I put out that first VHS tape and there today, I, I just did a, a little upgrade to it for our, um, our, uh, DeFranco insider membership site. And there's only two minor tweaks that I made uh, and I, I put that out in 2003. And now at 2019, I could say, uh, and, and I'm not saying that to brag, I'm just saying I did it long enough and I, I had enough athletes that even all this time later, there's one or two minor tweaks. But if you if you have a VHS player and you pop that tape in and that's how you trained right now, you would improve. So that, that information is tried and true. Mm-hmm. If I were to put that out after my first year of training, you know, guys for the combine, a lot would have changed, but five years was like a nice time where I feel confident that mm. you, you could coach people, but you have to, you have to coach people in person first before you become an There's online just stuff coach. you learn you doing to. that. You can't learn uh, from reading a book. A hundred percent. You have to have that experience. Well, I, I don't even understand how it works right now. It blows my mind because I, I got into online coaching uh, by accident. It was because when I got into competing, and I was backstage and talking to all these these pro you know bodybuilders that I would assume knew everything about <laughs> nutrition and training. It was completely the opposite, and so I just kind of fell into helping them out. That's how it started off, and it all it was all built by word of mouth. I didn't promote it on my website or anything. I just would, would be going to shows, and people would be asking me questions because they knew I didn't have a coach. And I was like, man, these guys. They really, they really have no clue. They have a good, they do a good job of starving their body and training like crazy, but they didn't have any understanding of nutrition and the understanding of programming. So I started coaching online. And one of the things that I found when I was coaching online, it's extremely difficult to communicate the things that I would have to do in person. So yes. I'd have to prod and ask a lot of questions and send me a video of this. And it was mm-hmm. like, Man, I, so when I see some of these kids that come up and they they go right into online coaching and they've never trained anyone in person, I'm like, how do you even know what the fuck to ask them? <laughs> yeah, you know, like I'm I, I had to lean on my 15 years at that time of experience before to even know what to ask to get to the questions, so that I can then coach to what I needed. A hundred percent, and that's why I stopped. I, I started online coaching just more so with athletes I was training in person. If they would travel or like, I would design their. Um, I would send them workouts to do, uh, you know, and quote unquote, do some online coaching with them. And even those that I work with in person, it, it got to the point where I couldn't charge enough to warrant the amount of time I was spending 
writing out descriptions, mm-hmm. running. I'd be home. I'd run into my basement. I have a, I have a small home gym. So I'd run to my basement, film an exercise because I couldn't explain it good enough. Uh, and it, I wanted to tweak a little bit from what I did with him previously. It was so much work. Like I was like, this is overwhelming. I can't do this. And I've been doing this for two decades. Yeah. Yet you have a 22 year old that's like, Oh, I have 50 online clients and I make a great, like <laughs> you can't do that. Right. You, right. you can't that's do exact, that. That's exact. The exact reason why I scaled out of it. I was like this, I just, I, I, it's not worth it to me financially. I don't feel good about how much I need to charge for the amount of time and effort I need to put into fundamentally change or help mm, these people. Yeah. So yeah, it baffles me when what, I see that. Integrity. I think, you know, if you have integrity, you're going to think twice about that stuff. If for a quick money grab, you know, Absolutely. One one thing for me too, I learned later on in my career was uh, I started to read these old books uh, written by old time strong men and bodybuilders, and I couldn't believe some of the wisdom that came out of those books. Like I started to read some of these old workouts that these old bodybuilders did, and they seemed so basic. But then yep. I'd try them out, and I'm like, holy shit! Or I'd read these diets, like Vince Garanda would write about <laughs> eating cholesterol like crazy. And then, you know, I came across a study that said there might be something to this. And I increased my cholesterol intake and I got stronger. My performance went. Do you ever look back at old training methodologies and stuff and see if you can pick up some some tips and stuff from those? Oh, yeah. A lot of the it's I feel like the more you learn, the more you go back and the because I I do love variety. I think there is something to uh you know, we all love training, but I know myself, I like to do a new exercise and not be, not to be gimmicky, just to, it's to prevent being bored. I like trying new stuff. I found with a lot of my programs, we, we, uh, incorporate three week mini cycles where the, you know, the goals remain the same and the, the, the templates pretty much the same, but we just cycle exercises at more kind of like a West side barbell approach where you're cycling exercises in, uh, just because I found my athletes like that variety, it gives them something to look forward to kind of that feeling of always progressing. But with that being said, when it's also, when you, your go-to is just the old school stuff that works, the basic barbell lifts, you know, base, you know, squat hinge, lunge, push, pull, carry, like the, the, the fundamental movements, fundamental exercises, they work. The, the old five by five system, I go back to a lot with new clients. Uh, it's the, the strongman training that was a lot of that originated when like, you know, people didn't have formalized gyms, well-equipped gyms. So they lifted stones and, you know, pushed cars. And that was like a minimalist approach. Somehow we were doing that like I said, back in 1998, when I started my gym in 2003, that, that formed the foundation. Cause I didn't have money to have, I only had three pieces of equipment. So a lot of the training was dragging sleds, flipping tractor tires, pushing my Tahoe, uh, that people somehow CrossFit came along. Like they invented that stuff. That's the old school bare bones, basic stuff you're talking about that mm-hmm. while a lot of things come and go, I feel like the old school stuff is what remains tried and true. Right. How do you feel about like, how do you navigate through a lot of this new technology that emerges like, you know, with HRV and like different ways to track people's stress levels and things like that? Like, do you incorporate that all uh, in your gym or are you kind of like, uh, you know, keep that a little bit uh, to the side? We, we do. Like, listen, I owe, we want, even at my my quote unquote gym now, which is more just like a, a private little lab. If you when you just walk in there, it's not 
very impressive. It's not like my old gym where people would walk in and be like, yo, this is badass. It's cool, but it doesn't look like much. But like we pride ourselves in having every gadget, everything you need in this little thousand square feet we have. If, if I feel like it's going to improve performance, I'm, I'm going to get it. Uh, you know, so, so we have things like Tendo units and, and things to track HRV and, uh, you know, new pieces of equipment and Cameron, my, my head coach over there is more into the technology. He kind of keeps me up to date. I'm not the greatest Mm. with technology. Uh, if something works, we keep it. But again, from a practicality standpoint and dealing with a lot of athletes, I found as far as like recovery, I I haven't, what works great for me, I have a, I have a, a cheap $20 hand dynamometer on my desk. Athletes come in, they squeeze it. I, I, that's part of our assessment. I mm. have a baseline. Mm-hmm. Doing a quick little grip test pre-workout gives oh, that's super, brilliant. super, right. super yeah. accurate. That's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely love that. Scary how accurate that oh, is, Oh, it makes, it makes oh, perfect totally. sense. It's so, I had Mickey Gall, UFC fighter, when especially the UFC guys, because they're doing so much training, and he's always going to lie. He, he, he always feels great. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> no matter what I say, yeah. 27 workouts. I feel great. I feel great. And I have him squeeze the thing, and... You know, he would be, I forget what it's, which the one I have is measured in, but it say it's pounds of pressure. Uh-huh. If he's off, there's days where he'd be off like 30, 40 pounds. Jeez. He's telling me he feels great. And I know, just make a little note to myself, I warm him up and I don't, I, I'm, you know, I'm into the psychological aspect. So I'm not going to tell him, right. oh, we're going to take it easy today. But I see that we warm up and I'll make him you know, think like it's planned. Oh yeah. Today's perfect. Yeah. Your grip was down a little bit, but I had a planned active recovery today. Anyway, we're going to do some mobility, so a little bit of neck, some core training. We're going to call it a day, but yeah, anybody listening, if you don't have the money or you're not big in the technology sh- for, for measuring I have never recovery. heard that. No, I, I love that. Dynamometer. No, it's brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah. So what do you do? You have them yeah, squeeze it. There's no cheating it. that. You have them no. squeeze it and get a baseline when they're fresh and strong. And yeah, first day that. during the assessment, I go squeeze this as hard as you can, right, right hand, left hand, give them a minute, have so them do it again. output just right like that. And I do it the first week. just So I, after the first week, I really get the baseline. I kind of, yeah. you know, um, see where they're at. I keep that Dude, in their folder that. and uh, yeah. two seconds. It's we'll right. That. Yeah. yeah by sure. all means, still. Yeah. Cause I'm, I didn't invent it. I, I heard it somewhere. Somebody told it to me, no, it's great. but you know, like the grip and the nerves in your hand, it's just such a great way. Easy way to, to measure, measure that CNS, CNS output. fatigue and output. Yep. Oh, um, brilliant. And also, uh, you know, heart rate first thing in the morning, if you don't want to get all into the variability, mm-hmm. just take, I, I, uh, have a little notepad right by my the little end table on my by my bed when I wake up before I get out of bed in the morning take my heart rate and if I know if I'm within 3 or 4 beats I'm kind of good but there's days if your heart rate is elevated mornings you know for me my baseline if it's like 65 beats a minute there's been mornings I wake up and it's 82 like and those are night I didn't sleep travel stressed whatever I know Maybe it's better off that you, you know, I take a recovery day, I go for a walk in the morning and do some mobility. Uh, if, if you had a max effort squat session scheduled for that day and, you know, listen, I'm not saying I don't want, I think a lot of people, uh, they don't need an excuse to be an even more of a pussy than they already are. <laughs> yeah. But I think the, 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 your audience and people that listen to me for the most part want to train and are into it and we almost need to pull the reins in a little bit. So for them, I don't, I think it's a uh, good advice for yeah. the, the heart rate first thing in the morning. 
resting heart rate or the hand dynamometer before you train. Just do the hand, do it the same time. We do it pre-workout right when they walk in the gym, before they start their pre-warm up, squeeze it. And uh, that gives me as Brilliant. a coach yeah, uh, a pretty good I, indication. I love that. I'm going to buy one for myself. No, I love that. And that's another example too of where context matters. Cause you just made a, a great point is, and I have a hard time, even on this show, we answer a lot of questions and and I, I think people get annoyed because we always answer. We start every answer with, "Well, depends." It depends. Yeah. yeah, and then we go into this whole. The more sponsored you know, by depends. the more it yeah. depends. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, but it's just so true because it's exactly Here right. Like, yeah. Who I'm talking to, uh, I I want to send the right message. I, and back to like your caffeine comment, back into that. Like you know, my client who has no motivation is lazy, can't ever go to the gym. Like giving them an excuse not to train, and they're looking yep. for an excuse. I'm gonna hold back probably some of that information, yes. so I might not tell that person that. Where then I have my athlete who I have to always pull the reins back. Like I'm going to inform him some things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, and I feel like that that's for almost everything. So it's a, it's a really challenging it, thing as a coach. And it's because we've all, we, and I think that's why we, we came together and I wanted, you know, I'm, I flew out here just to be on this podcast is after hearing you guys were so there's in the new social media world, there's so few people that, have actually done it for 15 plus years in the real world and then are giving the information uh, out there. And that's why we have so much in common. I think even if we've had different types of clients, when you train real people in person for over a decade, two decades, these are the type of things. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just is that way. The more you know, the more you realize that the answer depends on a, B, C, D, you know, mm-hmm. if I had a podcast 20 years ago, I would have had the answer for everything. Yeah, right, right. Right. What's the best way to improve speed? Oh, this exercise, this, yeah. you know, I would list exercises right. and programs. Now, you know, that's not the answer and, and people don't like it depends. They want to be told exactly what to do, but I don't know. We all have integrity, so we don't feel good. Have you have you advice. ruffled any feathers in the academia world? Because I know that some sometimes we we ruffle some feathers that way too. Because again, back to the you know, sure a study says this for a control group of thirty people that did X, Y, and Z yes. only, but in the real world that doesn't always apply. The big the big one for me was the uh, sprinting with a heavy sled or or heavy sled drags in the the track and field community and the speed community for. Well over a decade, I was just the uneducated meathead with 890 on his SATs who was a strength guy and knew nothing about biomechanics of speed, yada, 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 because their thing was, you know, kind of train slow, be slow, dragging a heavy ass sled uh, is not going to make you faster. And that was, I never, here's the thing, I, I was, they almost didn't give me enough credit. Like I never classified it as a speed exercise. I get the the whole, you know, principle of dynamic correspondence. And I understand it for an exercise to truly be considered specific. It's got to match the, the direction, the duration and the speed of the movement that you're trying to improve. So dragging a heavy ass sled 20 yards is not the same as sprinting as fast as I can for 20 yards. But it does match enough of the criteria where we classify that as a special strength exercise or like general specific, a little more specific. People have no problem saying, hey, sprinters squat, right? They all have strong legs. So it's acceptable for them to squat. But somehow when I would say heavy ass sled drags are the best exercise I do outside of sprinting to improve sprinting speed, I got crushed with studies saying if, if, 
if you're dragging or running with a heavy weight, it's going to slow you down. It's going to alter mechanics. And for 10 years, I had no studies, but I, I coached, I, I log all my training sessions. So at the, from two, from, uh, 1998 to 2016, I logged over 30,000 10 yard sprints that I coached. And that's like a real number. That's not me just throwing shit out there. And I have the the data of, you know, dragging a heavy, both, again, to give you context, like a, a contrast training pairing where you would drag a heavy sled, wait a couple seconds, and then run a sprint. And then also assessing an athlete, training them, incorporating heavy ass sled drags in their programming as a main strength movement, and then testing weeks or months later. 99 percent of the time for the majority of athletes they were getting faster even though it's a quote-unquote slow movement and for me it just made well a i had fully electric times to prove it so my thing was that's a great study that was six weeks with 12 college kids i have 30,000 10 yard electrically time 10 yard sprints with high school college and professional athletes from all over the freaking world for two decades so awesome study but <laughs> (laughs) this shit's working for me and that's why they're flying from all over the world to come train with me um and it makes sense just be again your speed is all about if you want to simplify it's force into the ground you need to apply force into the ground at the right biomechanical position in the right direction Mm. that's the foundation for running faster then you could talk about stride length and uh, frequency and all that, but it, it's force into the ground. And most athletes, most sports, team sports are played in acceleration. So that first 10 to 15 yards is the most important. And mm-hmm. the shorter the distance, the the more uh, it, it heavily relies on strength and and power. It's not as as much the elastic component of the muscle. That, that's more when you hit max velocity. So I saw these heavy ass sled drags enhancing their technique start, yeah. b- because it put them in the right think about if, if we loaded up a sled we went out into the gym i loaded up a, a sled if it's the first thing if it's really heavy the first thing you're going to do if you if you're standing upright and you try to drag it you're not going to go anywhere first thing you're going to do is lean forward so you're going to have to kind of just naturally if i don't even coach you you're going to drop your upper body in front of your legs you're going to get that lean so you could push into the ground. Mm-hmm. Then when you take your first step, if you overstride, which is a big mistake with, with a lot of athletes, when they go to run and you tell them, you know, when you accelerate, you want to cover ground, take big steps. The first thing they're going to do, take big steps is a horrible coaching cue because they're just going to step out in front of their hip, create that braking force and slow themselves down. If you try to do that with a heavy ass sled drag, you won't go anywhere. You can't move forward until you are in that perfect 45 degree lean or close to it. And you maintain a positive shin angle, which means your knee stays in front of your foot. So your foot applies force back into the turf or into the ground to propel you forward. You can't drag a heavy sled improperly. And, and that's why I loved it. It's minimal coaching cues, sets them up in a proper position and strengthens the muscles involved in accelerating at the most specific joint angles imaginable. So you're getting the strength benefit. It's the only way to, you can't practice accelerating at a slow speed. It's the only thing 
in in sports or it's the only activity that we can't slow down you know if uh and sorry i know this is like one of those rants i feel no, it's, like, no, it's, it's a great it's yeah. a great rant keep going yeah if you suck at baseball, I'm not going to make you go play Major League Baseball and try to hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. You're going to hit off of a tee. Then I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, underhand it like, you know, if you're a dad, all the dads soft out toss, there do, yeah. nice soft toss. And then, so, like, <laughs> you do. Right now. <laughs> yeah, so that's how you learn. If you suck at sprinting and accelerating, I can't say, okay, listen, we're going to work on your mechanics. Let's jog a couple 10-yard sprints. Because it's not a sprint. Everything's different. Yeah, you can't because in order to practice the mechanics, you need to be running as fast as you can. That lean, the angles, you can't practice it slow. The one way to hack that is a heavy-ass sled drag. So, you know, the the four stages of learning a new skill, that conscious competence, that third stage where you, you, you're you good at it if you have the time to think about it and be coached. I would always um, kind of sell the heavy-ass sled drags as the conscious competence phase where, as a coach, I'm walking alongside of you as you're dragging a heavy-ass sled and I'm telling you, Okay, keep that forward body lean, drive that foot back into the turf, you know, drive it fully extend. And I'm not yelling all these cues at once. I'm picking one and I'm coaching you as you slowly walk 10, 15 yards. You could consciously think about what a perfect acceleration angle looks and feels like. Then we get rid of that sled. You do that enough. Not only did you rehearse a a perfect 10, you strengthen the muscles at very specific joint angles. So you're going to be applying more force into the ground with each step. That's how you're going to freaking run and accelerate faster. And I did it for 20 years, but there's no research to back it. Recently, a couple years um, ago, uh, uh, JB Marin, a, a researcher out of France and a couple others really headed up and started pioneering and and proving heavy sled sprinting and dragging one of the best things you could do for short sprints and accelerating. And you talk about DMs blowing up. Like oh, I it, bet. it felt kind of good because for 20 years I was, <laughs> oh, look, another study that Indication. says you're an idiot. Another, yeah. And then now, you know, everyone's sending me all these studies that, that this guy uh, is backing these heavy ass sled sprints and drags and people are, you know, quoting my articles from 2003 and I think 1998 before I even had my own gym. Um, I, I had written some stuff on it. So, and by the way, while that's great, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Like I'm not going to only support research when it supports right, me, right. but it, but it, but it is nice. So that, that was the biggest thing in my world dealing with athletes and being like a speed guy. I was always knocked for like Oh, he's not a track guy. He doesn't know about sprint mechanics. He just trained some football players that were probably really slow and they got faster. Like while I never trained a Usain Bolt, no, no, there, no one has. Like that's literally one of one. I've trained dudes that ran four three, four two, mm. uh, you know, in the forty, like elite, yeah. elite level athletes that got faster. Miles Austin, I named like. Um, I, I could I can name hundreds. So it's it's worked with elite athletes, uh, and it was nice that the research has finally caught up to that. Sorry for that long ass rant. Excellent. But that was like the was culmination beautiful. of my life's work. Yeah. Uh, and being told that you know you suck, you're an idiot. It's 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 cool that now I got some people uh, backing me with it. Oh shit, Joe. Joe, we That's appreciate awesome. you, man. Yeah. yeah. Thank we, you. Yeah. I appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for having me. Not hey, everybody. What, one last thing before we hang up. I'd like to uh, talk a little bit more in depth um, about your certification because I'm, I'm going to hold you accountable to doing this right now. I, I really would 
just getting to know you even more than what we already did know you. Uh, I think it would be great to have you come out and uh, host a, a certification in our in our facility. No, done deal. And so, talk a little bit about um, a little more about what that looks like. I mean, I think you made some good points about you know you guys really formulated a, a certification that you felt was applicable to a trainer. They could go right away the first day back and and start helping. What are some of the things that you think is different about your certification that separates you from the, the average cert that's out there? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that, and I will hold you guys accountable. One thing I liked about listening to your show and why it is now on my short list of podcasts is because you guys are honest. So you, not only are we going to have one here, I would love, I want you guys obviously to be here and give your honest opinion on it. If you think it sucks, come on here and tell everybody it fucking sucks. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I feel I highly super doubt it, strong will. that you will say that, but I know you will be honest. Um, so that's why we'll, we'll hold each other accountable there. Why it is different is because both Smitty and I had every certification you could name. When I when I first started my business, I my entire back wall was lined with certifications, uh, and I ultimately replaced those with football, you know, signed jerseys and like kind of more real world, way type, cooler, re, yeah, cooler <laughs> stuff that uh, real people that I actually helped. Um, but our thing was why. And I think I've heard you guys bash weekend certifications as they should be, but why do we have one and why is it different? Not only because of the curriculum, which wasn't put together in a weekend, it's literally 40 plus years of combined experience, years it took us, once we decided we wanted to change the game, took us a couple of years to come up with the curriculum. There is 12 DVDs, eight manuals that go along with it. It's from pre-workout movement prep assessments that we're talking about, but super practical. Any trainer can do uh, very easy assessments and then what to do with the findings during those assessments. Big problem is people learn all these assessments. They do them. They find all the shit wrong with their clients and then they just throw them in a group exercise class and don't address any of the issues anyway. So then we show you how to train for each one of those dysfunctions or imbalances and everything from move, you know, learning the, the basic fundamental movement patterns, how to squat, how to hinge, how to lunge, push, pull, carry, breathing, bracing, um, strength training, program design, speed training, power development. I just scratched the surface with some of those things here today, but all of it is covered in the cert. And at the end, you just, this might not be a great sale for it, but you don't just get certified by showing up. We give you all the tools necessary, but then you go home, actually send videos of uh, actually send us videos of you coaching and implementing the things that you learned on top of a written test. Then that's how you become certified. Then we have a level two. That's a little bit more of the practical application. And finally, what we're literally finalizing right now that we're going to launch it next month is our CPPS master's class or, um, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but probably like a CPPS master's class or community where we're going to do Facebook live. Smitty and I will do Facebook live kind of seminars. We'll, we'll pick a topic each month or each quarter and address all of the coaches. You will have to attend those. Or if you can't attend it live, you will 
uh, get credit for watching the video. We'll do an hour or two covering the newest topics, newest trends in the industry. If we changed anything, we don't have egos where just because it's in the cert, uh, we won't change it. Our cert has changed and evolved over the course of the seven years. So we're going to keep everybody up to date with that. It's going to be ongoing and have an open Q&A format within those live um, you know, those master's classes, you will actually have direct contact with Smitty and I at least four times a year throughout the process in order to maintain that cert. So we feel like this master's class is a great way uh, to keep our trainers on the cutting edge and to keep them sharp, not just, you know, you take a certification 10 years ago and then it's just hanging on your wall. And we don't want trainers that aren't implementing this stuff. Uh, we want to make sure everybody's up to date. And our goal is for those letters. If you see a trainer with CPPS letters after their name, we want it to mean something. We don't want them to just be a bunch of letters. So uh, it's been our life's work. I appreciate you letting me, you know, take the time to um, kind of share share a little bit more about it. And we will a hundred percent host one here. I, I appreciate that. Hell yeah. Yeah, right absolutely, on, man. man. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you guys. Yeah, man. This is awesome. Man. Thank you for listening to mind pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy and maximize your overall performance. Check out our discounted RGB super bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB super bundle includes maps, anabolic maps, performance and maps, aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>